I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle. And this is Karen. It is so good to be back with you right now. Today, we're going to talk about avoiding layers of learning pitfalls. So we're going to focus down really hard on layers of learning curriculum specifically, and some of the things that we have seen users get confused about, or they think that we mean one thing when really we mean another. So we're going to go through some of those things one by one. So the very first thing that we see happen a lot with people who are starting out using layers of learning is that they massively try to over plan. And sometimes I feel like this is our fault because we wrote an incredible planning guide that takes you through every possible step of planning. And truthfully, a lot of the planning happens in our heads when we're preparing to teach our kids. And we tried to articulate every single step that was going on in our heads for people who are just starting out. But sometimes I think that has led to people spending too much time on their planning. It's really not supposed to be a curriculum that takes you away from your children. And the point of it is to have a family school where you're with your children. So of course you do need to plan some, but it shouldn't be that you're spending the six hours of planning for one hour of lesson. That's a bad balance there. It should be at least the reverse of that. So when I am planning personally, I actually don't even use the planner. You use the planner at the beginning of the school year, like in the summer before you start to make a basic outline, but you don't plan as the year goes on, right? Yeah, I, I do make a basic outline, but but most of my planning happens like this. This is how it really happens. I just open the unit right inside my tablet and it has functions where you can just write right on the PDF within on the tablet with your finger and I will just circle something or put an asterisk next to it so that I remember, oh yeah, I want to do that. And then I go to the end of the unit and I print out all the printables I want And again, I do this in the summer. So I print them out for the whole year and I store them in file folders that are arranged by unit. And then when it's time to teach it, I just open up the unit on my iPad and I can see those spots where I was going to teach my children. And I just go through it one little step at a time. When my time is up for the day, when, you know, we've spent our two hours or whatever I feel like we have time for that day, then we stop. And we go on to our next subjects. And then we pick it up wherever we left off the day before. So you never really say, for sure, we are spending this much time doing this. And you know, you don't outline it in a detailed way. You just know what you want to do and then wing it a little bit. I do wing it a little bit because I don't feel like I have to have a script. I don't have to know everything that my kids are going to know before we do the unit. It's okay if I'm learning about Israel with them at the same time. So it's fine if I can't remember who David Ben-Gurion is. We can all look it up together and we can watch the video about him together or whatever it is. So one of the things that I think you consistently do, though, is you get library books and reserve those ahead of time. And you plan in that way, don't you? Over the summer, I make my lists. My library has a way for you to save wish lists and you can put it in like folders inside the library wish list. So then I can go into my library wish list and see all the things that I wanted to save for that unit and I can just put them on hold and the wonderful librarians just bring them to me. It's wonderful. You have a bookmobile that comes to your house, right? Pretty much to your house? Well, not right to my house. Practically. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) I love my librarians 
shout out to the library. And then also in the summer, if we are doing projects, which I don't do as many as Karen does, but I still do projects, I will gather all of those supplies and put them away in my science cupboards and my art cupboards. And I keep them on hand so that when it's time to do that project, when it comes around in the year, I've got the stuff for it. So I have my printables already made. I have all my supplies already purchased and I have my library books lined out ahead of time. And then during the year, I don't do any planning. It's pretty much grab and go for you. Yeah. And once in a while, there will be a few things that I have to remember to get. Like If we're making a recipe, for example, from the, one of the geography units, it's not like you can buy the food back in the summer. <laughs> so there are a few things like that that will come up. I think I do a lot more planning week to week. I'm more of a planner in all aspects of my life. So it's it's more natural that I spend a little bit more time planning than you do. But I have to be really aware not to over plan also. This is a pitfall that I can easily fall into because I actually enjoy filling out my planner. And it's fun for me to make lists and check them off. And so I have to be really aware of that and make sure that I'm not spending more time planning than I am actually learning with my kids. One thing I think people do is they think that they have to cram before they can teach their children. You do not have to read any of the books or watch any of the videos. I mean, you can if you're afraid of what they might contain, I guess, but you don't need to preview or pre-learn the information before you do it with your children. You should be learning with them. You're reading the book the same time they are. You're both learning at the same exact moment. Okay, so that brings us to the next pitfall, and that is a lot of people try to do every single exploration that's listed in a unit. And I know that a lot of them sound wonderful and fun, but you're going to burn out if you try to do every single exploration. And one of the things that is a common misconception is that if you skip doing an exploration, that that's skipping learning about that topic. And I just want to give you an example of how you don't have to skip the information by skipping the exploration that's in the unit. So if you are looking at layers of learning year one, unit four, the history topic is ancient Greece. And there is so much that you could learn about ancient Greece. And it's a fascinating, fascinating topic, especially for kids. There are tons of great books written about it. There are wonderful movies that you can find on YouTube. So there's no shortage of information that's available on this topic. But as I was going through and teaching my kids about ancient Greece, I came across this exploration about chariots. It says the Romans were famous for their chariots because they were so light and fast, but the Greeks were actually the first to race them. They were pulled by mules or oxen. They were often used as battle vehicles. And then the exploration goes on to have an activity that goes with it. And it says, use clay to create a simple chariot with two wheels. A drinking straw makes the perfect axle if you want your wheels to turn. Find or sculpt a small toy figure to ride in your chariot. So as we look at that exploration, you can look at it and you can say, oh, I don't have time to have my kids make chariots this week. And I don't have clay and drinking straws and I'm not prepared to do that. So I guess we just can't learn about chariots. And that's just not true. You could have read that little blurb to them about chariots and they would have learned about it. You could watch a quick YouTube video and they can learn about it. There are a lot of ways to learn about it if you don't have time to do every single project. And if you do every project, 
you're going to burn out. You're not going to have time and you're going to feel stress. So one of the things that we recommend as kind of a base beginning point is that the unit should take about two weeks. And again, this is flexible and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But a lot of people say, well, how can you possibly get this done in two weeks? The point is you don't have to get it done. You're supposed to be picking just one or two activities. The rest of your learning is happening when you're reading the books from the library list or just reading blurbs out of the unit itself or watching YouTube videos or other ways of learning. Maybe you go on a field trip and that's part of your learning for a unit. It's not all the hands-on activities from the unit. Yeah, because we love projects in our homeschool, we usually choose, you know, three or four at the very, very most. We never do more than that. Uh, If we did, then we also probably wouldn't have time to do the reading, which I think is more information packed than the actual project itself. So you have to really balance that and don't try to do every single exploration. The next pitfall is thinking that there is a right way to do layers of learning. There isn't. And I think, again, this may be partly our fault. We give examples in blog posts about how to do things like planning a unit or um, what a week in our homeschool looks like. And you may come across that and read it and think, well, this is what I have to do. But it's funny because when we go back and read those, we're thinking, huh, that's what I used to do. We don't even do it that way anymore. Things evolve and change. And that's just one example. It's supposed to be kind of think of it as a starting point. This is what an example you can take and you can begin this way, but then change it, make it flexible, make it work for your family. And especially we want to talk about scheduling. It's purposely flexible. You can schedule the way that you learn these topics, how much time you spend on them, how many weeks, how many hours a day, which days you do which topics. That's completely and totally up to you. So I actually like the subject of a day method where you do history on Monday, geography on Tuesday, science on Wednesday, and art on Thursday. But even I don't do that all the time. Sometimes I adjust that. But I like that method and I've been doing it that way for years. And so that is the method that we explain for layers of learning on our website, but that's not the only way to do it. I do history and geography on Mondays and Wednesdays, and I do science and art on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's how I started doing it a couple of years ago, and it just worked for us. We did two subjects a day. It seemed perfect for my family and my kids' attention spans, and it's just what worked for us. This year, I actually started doing it a little bit differently, and it's been a fun change. We start on Monday with history, and then on Tuesday, we continue to do history, but we add geography. And then on Wednesday, we continue to do history and geography, but we add science. And then on Thursday, we do all of them, including art. And then Friday is kind of our easy day in our homeschool. So we just do anything that we didn't catch the other days. I tend to focus on history a lot more in our homeschool. And so I decided that's a really good way for us to spend more time on the history. And it doesn't mean that I never throw in an art project on Monday or that we sometimes I switch it and say, you know what, we have more science to cover than geography this week. So I'm going to start our science on Tuesday. We're really super flexible depending on the unit that we're doing. We don't try to do everything all the time or be entirely consistent because when you tell yourself you're always going to do something and then you fail at it, you feel like a failure. Don't have an always guideline. Instead, just recognize that one of the awesome things about homeschooling is the flexibility. 
And I think you can just jump in, just get started with layers of learning. And within a few weeks, maybe a few months at the most, you'll figure out what works for you. You'll find your groove. Some of our users recently have been talking about their homeschool schedules with layers of learning. And someone, I wish I knew who it was. I can't remember now. But she mentioned that they do history for the entire first week. And that's the only subject that they do. And then the second week, they do all the other three subjects. They do the geography, science, and art. Again, they are in that family, they are focusing more heavily on the history. So they're spending an entire week on that. And that way they can really focus hard on it. And she feels like her kids are getting that thoroughly without being distracted by the other subjects. And then she jumps into the other three the rest of the week on the week two. And that is what works for them. And I love that she has decided to take the schedule and just make it the way that it works for her. I think it's massively important to recognize that you are the boss of your curriculum. Every single curriculum that you buy, it is to serve you. You are not serving it. Your curriculum is not the boss of you. So a lot of people ask me what math curriculum I love, and I have used Saxon since the very beginning of our homeschool journey, and I absolutely love it. I've tinkered with a few things and tried other things, but I just love Saxon best of all. And not everyone does, but I do. It's what works for me. And often people say to me, oh, I don't know how you do Saxon. It is so thorough. There's too much there. And I thought, huh, I've never done an entire lesson. I like how thorough it is because it gives us options. But I always tell my kids, either do odds or do evens or hey, today we're just doing the letters, which just cover the actual lesson that they did in Saxon for for that day. And so we never do a complete Saxon lesson ever because my curriculum is not the boss of me. I'm the boss of my curriculum. All of the things that we use in our homeschool, they are there to serve me in the way that works best for our family. Another way you can tweak the schedule for layers of learning is that You don't have to complete a year in a year, necessarily. It's okay to take longer. It's okay to stretch year one over two years if you want to. Shrink it down if you want to. You can have your lessons go for two weeks, or you can have them only go for one week for a unit. Or you can have them stretch out to three. It's completely up to you. You really get to decide and and keep it flexible and keep tweaking with it until it fits you. And it's also okay to change it up sometimes, like Karen and I do. We change up our schedule from time to time. Because it keeps it interesting and fresh and it kind of gives you new enthusiasm. Well, the next pitfall is being worried about covering everything. So first of all, you should know that layers of learning doesn't cover everything. Every so often we get someone who writes to us and asks, well, where do you cover this topic? And I say, well, we don't. We don't even pretend to cover all of the knowledge that there is in the world. It wouldn't be possible. And we don't try. Yeah, so we've had people ask, where are the dinosaurs? And we're like, well, you could tack them on with fossils. And it's it's not that we think dinosaurs are unimportant or that we don't somehow believe in dinosaurs because we do. We believe in dinosaurs. We, we love dinosaurs. We do. But it's just that as we were preparing these units and deciding what topics to cover, we had to whittle it down. And we didn't feel it was a valuable use of our real estate in our curriculum to spend an entire unit on dinosaurs. And so we didn't. And Besides that, dinosaurs happen before our history begins. They are before the um, first civilizations on Earth. And so it just sort of didn't fit in our paradigm of the units. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't study dinosaurs. 
you can add that in wherever you feel it's appropriate. If you have a child who loves dinosaurs, then by all means, add in some dinosaurs, get some books on dinosaurs and do some projects. I have a daughter who wants to become a dentist and we do not cover dentistry in layers of learning. I... Why not? Big, big fail. Big fail in her book. But, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't study that. She is already studying dentistry and memorizing all of the names of the teeth. And she's been taking a lot of extra classes that deal with biology and health because she knows that that is what she wants to be her focus in college. Now, she might change her mind between age 14 and when she really is talking about entering dental school. But... First of all, layers of learning doesn't cover everything. And secondly, recognize that you are not going to cover everything in your homeschool. Your kids are going to have all different interests and they're going to shoot off in different ways. And that's awesome when they can figure out what they're really curious or passionate about. They get to take off on that. But don't try to plan out how to cover every single bit of knowledge. It's just not possible. And it's okay if you don't have time to do every unit or every part of every unit in layers of learning. In unit 414, the history topic is the modern state of Israel. And it's really fascinating. And I think it's really politically relevant to our world right now. People are talking about Israel a lot. It's a big part of the Middle East and what's happening there. So it's, it is important. But if you were to skip that unit and never teach your kids about modern Israel, the sky would not fall. It would be okay. They could learn that information somewhere else when it came up and was important in their lives. You're creating students who can look things up and learn as they go through life, not just creating students who are fed some information and then that's all they ever learn. So the next layers of learning pitfall that we have seen people fall into is that they feel like they have to know everything before they can teach it to their kids. You absolutely do not need to know everything that you're teaching your kids because really you're not teaching your kids. You are learning with your kids when you're using layers of learning. Often my kids will ask me a question. They might say, mom, why is the sky blue? And even if I know the answer, sometimes I say, I don't know, let's go find out because I want them to go find out. I want to raise little learners, not just people who come to mom and are fed the information. Another aspect of that is that you're modeling learning, hopefully. And so if you're the kind of person that feels like you have to look like an expert in front of your children, that you can't ever admit that you have a weakness like not knowing everything, then that's a, that's kind of a problem. Like You need to be willing to show your children, this is how we learn. This is how we find things out. And look at me, I'm this old mom lady and I'm still learning. You know, And, and they're, they're looking to you as an example. You want your kids to see someone who has never stopped learning. And I think that that is one of the greatest joys of homeschooling to me is how much I have learned. When I look back and I think of the education that I had when I finished college, I did not know a lot. I feel like I knew nothing compared to what I know now. I mean, I know I did know quite a bit, but, but I do feel like I've learned at least as much since I graduated as I knew before I graduated. I'm the same. I feel like my education really began when I started homeschooling my kids. And it's not because I had to overprepare for everything to teach them. It's just that I started really pursuing knowledge full time. And it has been the best time of my life to learn all that I've learned. And so you want your kids to understand that learning is the exciting part 
of this. It's not a means just to get a job or get into a college. Those are great things, but learning for the sake of learning is also really, really valuable. The next pitfall is to make sure that you are not talking more than you're listening. So if you're going to have a family style school, it's important that you allow your children to be part of that family. You allow them to be contributors. They should be giving their ideas as often as you're giving your ideas. You should all be having conversations together rather than more of a lecture format. We always say you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as often as you talk. And sometimes we apply that just to kids, but I have to apply that to myself. I have to stop and say, I need to really listen to their ideas. We are collaborating here. And when we collaborate in our homeschool, I'm amazed at what my kids teach me. And along with that, when I ask questions that I don't have the answers to, and then I listen to their answers, it's amazing the things that they come up with. Instead of just quizzing your kids on things and having an answer in your mind of what they should be saying, ask open-ended questions that you don't know the answer to. Do that intentionally. You will be amazed at the insight that your kids have and the things that you come up with together as a family. And especially after a little bit of practice. At first, they might kind of stare at you. But after you've practiced a bit with answering questions and not having to know the right answer, they'll open up a little bit more and be able to hear what other people are saying and able to express their ideas. So a part of that is you when you're listening, you can't just be waiting for your turn to talk. Listening is more than just waiting for the next opportunity to have your own ideas out there. You need to actually be engaged in listening, fully actively listening to them. So the next layers of learning pitfall, and we have alluded to this before, but it is fearing other viewpoints or fearing discrepancies in, especially in the books that you come across. We recommend a lot of books and sometimes they are contradictory. They don't always share the same viewpoint. And I'm sure that you are starting to realize if you haven't already, as a homeschooler, people are very, very wary about other viewpoints very often. And we really embrace other viewpoints and encourage you to do the same. So that doesn't mean that we believe everything, no matter who is throwing it at us. That would just make us wishy-washy and silly. What that means is that we listen. And, and again, we actively listen. We pay attention and we analyze. We assume that we are not right about everything. I think it's important to assume that you are probably wrong about some things. If you think, if you're sure that you're right about everything, then you're not a very teachable person. And you don't want to raise children who are not teachable. You don't want to raise children who can't learn from others or who are staunchly sure that they are right all of the time. That's actually not a nice personality trait when you come across that. There are certain things that we do in layers of learning where we purposely teach you and teach your children to think and to engage with other ideas. In Unit 2-1, we talk about climate and seasons. And as part of that, we bring up the debate of climate change, which is a very politically charged topic, um, especially in the West right now. And so we recommend three different books. And these are would be for the oldest children, the, the high school age, probably 14 or 15 and up. 
And the books are The Climate Crisis, An Introductory Guide to Climate Change by David Archer. This one explains the science and the argument behind anthropomorphic climate change and the dangers it presents. So in other words, it's saying climate change is real, it's caused by humans, and it's really dangerous, and we need to do something about it. The second book is called Climate of Extremes, Global Warming Science They Don't Want You to Know About. And that one takes the moderate position that anthropomorphic global warming is happening, but that there's really no crisis. So in other words, climate change is real, people are causing it, but we can relax a little bit, we have some time to deal with it. That's the second book. Then the third book is called Climate, the Counter Consensus. This one makes the case that climate changes on the earth are natural. They're not man-made at all, people have nothing to do with it, and so we can just relax and not worry about it. So those are three very different viewpoints. In the unit, we tell you to have your children or your child read all three of the books and only after reading all three of the books to make up their mind so that they can take all these viewpoints and glean from them. And it helps them to see some biases and some ways that different people may have an agenda too. I think it really helps teach critical thinking skills. Rather than shy away from different viewpoints, I point them out to my kids In the first episode, we talked about creating a learning culture in your homeschool, and we discussed Columbus. And kind of like climate change, Columbus is presented in a lot of different lights. And rather than shying away from the ones that I might not like or agree with, I had my kids read them, and then I pointed them out, and then we got to have the discussion about that. And that's really similar to the climate change books that you just talked about. Having the discussion is so, so important. And it will actually help your kids to learn to reason and to learn to sift through the vast amount of information and opinions that they're going to inevitably encounter. I think it takes a lot of courage as a parent to show your kids viewpoints or have them read books that you think are not true. It takes a lot of courage for you to let them be exposed to that. And you're hoping that they will come to the same point of view that you have. As a parent, you want to teach your children your values and your ideas. That's natural and it's good and it's right. But if you don't let them be exposed to things, they won't really ever know what they believe. And at some point, they will be exposed to other ideas. And how are they going to know how to deal with it if this is the first time they've ever been challenged? It's better for them to be challenged when they're young and you can guide them and you can help them to learn to analyze arguments, whether bad or good. So I was reading an interesting parenting article just a couple days ago, and it talked about our internal voices and our external voices. As you were speaking about having courage as a parent, it reminded me of that article. And in the article, they discussed how it's really pretty easy to teach kids to obey. We can even teach a dog to obey, right? So it's fairly easy to teach kids that. It's a lot harder to teach them to internally make good choices so that when you're not there, they're still making good choices. And they created a picture of a child with external voices and with an internal voice. Kids will listen to an external voice. They will listen to their parents and they will obey pretty readily if they're consistently taught. But as they grow up and they go out on their own, they're going to then be trained to just listen to external voices. And you won't be there anymore. And they will hear the external voices of the entire world. And you have no idea which ones are going to be the loudest, but they're going to go to whatever the loudest external voice is. And instead, 
how beneficial is it if you can teach your kids how to really critically think and reason so that they have a strong internal voice and they have internalized what they believe? Yeah, it's important that it, that their beliefs are really their beliefs. And usually this will happen during the teenage years, the later teenage years, when kids are finally mature enough to really have their own beliefs. Until then, they're just parroting their parents. And again, that's natural and normal and it's good. But if they haven't developed their own set of values, at least some of them, by the time that they've left your home, then you don't really know what's going to happen once they get out there in the world. So rather than fearing other viewpoints point out the other viewpoints and talk about them and and be willing to examine things from a lot of sides and help your kids find their internal voice. Okay, so the next layers of learning pitfall is dating your planner. Do not do it. <laughs> and this the reason is because life happens. If you have decided that on January 15th you will be learning about I don't know, about um, the Phoenicians, of course, the Phoenicians are on January 15th, and it rolls around to January 15th, and you're three weeks behind, ah, the stress, and you just freak out, and it's so, you're just trying to catch up, trying to catch up, trying to catch up, but if you do not have a dated planner, then when you get to the Phoenicians, you get to the Phoenicians. Now, this is something that, when I started doing it, it changed everything in my homeschool. Because I, I mentioned I am a planner. I like to plan and sometimes I fall into that pitfall of over planning. But when I put dates for specific things in my planner, it never pans out. I can't even plan from Monday to Friday and have everything happen on the day that I planned. Because luckily, I have kids who get fascinated about things and we might take longer to learn something. Sadly, I have kids who get sick or I get a migraine and, you know, sometimes you get behind. Things take longer than you intend or sometimes things go faster than you thought that they would. And so if instead of putting dates in your planner, you'll just make a basic plan that will help you to stay on track without feeling like you're failing or always ahead or behind or Usually it's behind for me. But but one of the things that we have done is put a pacing guide in our Layers of Learning Homeschool Planner. And it's, it's 99 cents on our website. So if you want to try it out, there's no huge investment. The pacing guide is something that I use to plan my whole year, but really, really flexibly. I don't put any dates on it. We just make a really basic plan for what we're going to do in what order without having a specific month by month, week by week set date. So basically the pacing guide is just topics. It's not even specifically what explorations you're doing, right? Yeah. And then on the next section of the planner, I use the weekly lesson plan and that has the specific explorations. And if I plan all of those out, which I like to do because I'm a planner, not everyone will will do that, but I like to do that. I don't put dates on that either until the very week that we're in. I don't write any dates on my planner. So one thing, Karen, that you taught me, again, I have a very, very loose planning style because it works better for me. Again, because I always fall behind. That's really, that's really why. Let's be honest. But one thing that you taught me is that when you finish a subject or you finish an exploration or a lesson that you were planning on doing, you highlight it. And that way you know, oh, I finished that. And it's really quick to look back through your planner and see what you missed. And then you can decide, well, do I really want to pick that up or can we just cross that off? 
Yeah, I I love my highlighters. I love my color in my homeschool. So I I use a lot of color for a lot of things. But I have a highlighter pen that sits right by my planner. And as we do things, that's how I check them off. I highlight it. And that shows me that we got that done. And then it allows me to see really quickly at a glance what I didn't get to or what we didn't get done with. And I don't necessarily rewrite it on the next week or any of that. I just can then flip back to the page before, which is my week before and say, oh, do I want to pick that up or do we want to just go on? And then that highlighter serves as my as my checklist, basically. And it makes it really fast for me to see where we're at. And it doesn't have a whole ton of pressure for me. It's okay to just turn the page and say, you know what, we didn't get everything highlighted. We didn't get everything done. Let's move on. Or I can say, ooh, I really wanted to do that art project, even though I had a migraine yesterday. Let's pick it up today. Okay. And the last layers of learning pitfall is getting stuck in too much of a routine. It's pretty important to keep your homeschool varied. Again, that's that's for both you as the mom and for the kids. If you decide that you're going to do a timeline every week and then the map every week and then one experiment every week and then one art project every week, that might get a little tedious. You might want to vary that a little bit more. So I think of our basic plan as kind of like being on cruise control. Being on cruise control is restful. Michelle, have you ever driven somewhere and then you realize, oh, I barely even remember driving here? Yeah, but I don't necessarily have to be on cruise control for that. (laughs) (laughs) But your mind is on cruise control. Yeah, yeah, your mind is on cruise control because you're so used to the route that you don't even think about it. Yeah, and that's that's restful. You have you wouldn't do that in a big city where you've never driven before and there's a lot of traffic. But if you're driving the same route that you drive every morning, for example, then it's really easy for our minds to just be at rest. So we have some basic things that we do that kind of are the cruise control of our homeschool that allow us to stay at rest through things. For example, Every morning we have a morning meeting. It's pretty much the same every single day. At the end of our morning meeting, my kids know that it's time for written work. And our written work is our math, our writer's workshop, and our reading time. And they kind of know that that's part of the routine that we do all of the time. And then even in layers of learning, that's the part that we do after lunch in our homeschool day. And even for that, we have some consistent things that we do. My kids know at the end of each unit, they are going to be putting an entry in our book of years. They know that I'm going to ask them to present and share some things that they've learned from the unit. So there are some real things that they can count on. But beyond that, we don't like to have an exact routine to everything because that steals a little bit of the joy of the variety that Layers of Learning has to offer in the first place. Uh, So make sure that you're just picking lots of varied things. So sometimes maybe do the art project uh, from the art unit, and sometimes maybe you're focusing more on art appreciation, or maybe you're focusing on the life of an artist instead. But keep that varied. So you don't need to do art appreciation in every single art unit, even though it's there in every art unit maybe. But you can you know, sometimes do the painting and sometimes do the um, art cards and sometimes do the biography of the artist. So I feel like we talked about a lot of pitfalls, but really we could have summed this all up by saying, be flexible. 
So next time we're going to talk about hands-on is minds-on, which in a nutshell means that once you've done your reading and your learning together, when you do that project in Layers of Learning, that's what really solidifies it. And it helps children's brains actually create physical connections so that they remember things and it helps them their brains to grow and become stronger. So that's what we're going to be talking about next time. We hope you join us. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com and on our Facebook group. Make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have Have fun fun learning. learning!